Hello, how you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. How the devil are you? You good? Are you keeping well and safe? Doing what you need to do from day to day? Whether that's, you know, being stuck in the kitchen baking your banana bread or doing what I've been doing this week, which is homeschooling. Crikey. Let's just say that helping an eight and a half year old with the maths is it's not my strong point. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. So a huge respect to all the teachers out there. Yeah, that's, uh, that's hard graph to tell you. Um, so if you are homeschooling, um, and it's a bit of a shock to the system, isn't it? But, um, I hope you're having fun whilst you're doing it. Um, I'm getting to grips with it a little bit more as the days go on. Uh, so what is going on? I'll tell you what's going on. Last week, I got together and had a fantastic conversation, which is this episode, episode 124. Now, if you have seen Detectorists, the, the brilliant comedy that was on BBC Four with Mackenzie Crook and Toby Jones and Rebecca Callard, um, or you've seen King Gary with Tom Davis on BBC One, then you will know Laura Checkley. Well, you'll certainly know her acting style, but will you know her? Well, you will get to know it in a bit because we had a fantastic conversation last week and it it goes everywhere. We talk about childhood, school, sexuality, being honest and true to yourself. And, you know, I've said this before, it's always a bit of a roll of the dice when you get guests on and you've never met before and you're not even meeting now. You're just having a, a conversation and you hit record and you go for it. And we really did. And it was like sitting down and catching up with a very dear friend. It was lovely, lovely conversation. I really cannot wait for you to hear it. So let's stop messing about. Let's get down to it. This is episode 124 of the Two Shot Podcast with the fantastic Laura Checkley. Enjoy. I shall see you at the end. Kind of. Yeah, it's funny because I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday, actually, mm. and we, we were on the phone and I was saying, I'm just not a fan. I've never been a fan of the FaceTime and the video calls. Full stop. No. I, I, yeah, it's a, it's a funny old concept. And I know it's a great way for us to keep in touch at the moment, but I, I just find it a bit exhausting. I'd rather just have a chat old, old style on the phone. Yeah. I just me too. I mean, we're, you know, of course we're such social animals and we can't, we're, you know, we're craving that interaction right now. I understand that, but it's so synthetic for me. Yeah. In a way, in a way I find it frustrating, you know? Yeah. Um, I, 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 I tell you, listen, it's nice to see the nieces and nephews. They don't want to know anyway. And half the time they're running around the phone, so you're looking at a ceiling, you know, <laughs> getting vertigo. Um, yeah, of course. But, yeah, I, I think it's nice for... I, I just feel like it's like a kid's thing. They all love it, don't they? They're Snapchat. I mean, I've got loads of nieces and nephews. I've got loads. But, you know, I've got a few. And um, they, they're they always recording themselves. And they're really comfortable with that. I've, I've never... I mean, I feel a bit cringy when I put something up on Instagram. Um, and I, I, I feel like it's just... Um, yeah, I just... I'm not... I just find it... I'm not really good on the phone anyway... My mates will tell you, I'd just rather go and meet you for a coffee or sit down at a pub. I just, yeah, I, I find the whole concept weird and I'm not good on the phone anyway. Well, <laughs> soon, soon we'll have all that, Laura. We'll have it back. No. I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased that, that you've decided to come on. Oh, thanks for having me. I was chat with me. actually no, like, really is... chuffed when you messaged me. I thought, has he got the right person? And I told my girlfriend, I was like, oh yeah, I've been asked this podcast. And she was like, that podcast, are you joking? Why do they want to talk to you? <laughs> <laughs> I said, I don't know. 
because I, I think you're interested and I think we'll have a good conversation. Well, so usually so. that's what I do is it as I meet people and we have a cup of tea or we get some cake if we're in London at my, my friend's... I'd have loved um, that. But a lot of people would. I remember when uh, I met up with Mark Strong last year and he went, why aren't we in Raison Berteau having tea and cake? I said, <laughs> oh, sorry, Mark, you know, sorry to disappoint you. So what I've done, we're going to sort of slightly restructure it. Let me just get my notes. Sometimes I finish the episodes with this and sometimes I start it. So what I thought I'd do as a little icebreaker mm. was uh, do a little lightning round. Oh, with you. crikey, all right. Oh, do you think? Yeah, go on, yeah. All right. What's, what, what is it? Posi- positivity is the way, <laughs> Laura. So I'm going to give you, it's like a, an either-or situation. Oh, okay. Okay, right. and you just have to just just tell us and then we'll get a bit, you know, we'll know a bit more about your, your taste <laughs> and then we'll get to know a bit more about you okay. after that. Okay. Yeah, go on. So, should we dive yeah, in? Yeah, go on. Yeah, let's do it. Here we go. Starter or dessert? Oh, starter, all the way. Vinyl or download? Vinyl. Yes or no? I want to be a yes person, but I can often be a no. That's interesting. We'll get to that later. Saturday night or Sunday morning? Saturday night. Town or country? Um, In what respect? Oh, I just should just answer, shouldn't I? Uh, Town. (laughs) (laughs) Train or plane? Train. Lennon or McCartney? Oh, Lennon. Beatles or Stones? Beatles. North or South? South. Easy. We'll get to that later. Uh, home or away? Home. Answer the phone or leave to voicemail? <gasps> leave to voicemail. Isn't it dreadful? Yes. You're not the first one. You won't be the last. <laughs> a long bath or a quick shower? Oh, long bath. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Passenger or driver? Passenger. Winter or summer? Winter. Weekday or weekend? Weekend. Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? Christmas Eve, always. To give or to receive? Uh, to give. Detectorist or King Go? <laughs> oh, oh, you arsehole. That's not fair. <laughs> I know, that's a tricky <laughs> not one. Not even me, yeah. I just called you an arsehole in the first five minutes. Um... It'd have to, it would have to be King Gary, unfortunately. I love Detectorist, though. Oh, there we go. You've called it now, Laura. I know. So, Laura, I'm here in my studio and in Gloucestershire. And when I say studio, I mean I've got my laptop on the chest of drawers and I've got pillows surrounding but me. But it sounds really good to say studio because you've got a podcast. A you need studio. to sound professional, don't you? Yeah, I'm many things. I don't know how professional I am. Where are you? Where are we speaking to you from? I'm in Crystal Palace in a flat I've not long bought, actually. And um, I'm in my bedroom because it's got the most, it's got this carpeted everywhere else. is sort of wooden floors and a bit echoey and I've still not got enough furniture in it. So it's still a little, yes, I'm trying to give you as good sound quality as I can. It's sounding pucker. Lovely. Now, are you, are you from Crystal Palace originally? No, I'm from Hounslow. Sorry, I'm just to yeah. um, I'm from Hounslow, uh, West London. Like all my family from, they all sort of hail from Shepherd's Bush area. Right. Uh, but yeah, I grew up in Hounslow, and then I I sort of moved south after drama school. I think we just got a cheap deal somewhere. Like I think we went Canada Water to begin with. Um, right. Uh, just because we got a tell, good deal, I don't know why we went there really. Um, sort of I stayed tell, south. Tell I liked a, it. Tell me about growing up in Hounslow. <laughs> is that you are you and you, what you've got siblings yeah i've got a brother and i've got two stepsisters but uh my stepsisters lived with their mum um so it was me and my brother and my mum and mm. stepdad and uh yeah grew up in hounslow sort of i used i actually was born in ascot in bracknell and then we moved when i was like six five or six i don't really remember bracknell so i have flashes of it um yeah. and then yeah we and then was in hounslow right up through till when I sort of went off to drama school, really. We did, we had, um, just towards the end of my time living with mum and dad, mum and dad, of course, my stepdad, um, where they moved to Chiswick, they did a bit better and moved to Chiswick. So, um, 
<laughs> uh, I, I spent a little bit of time in Chiswick, but unfortunately by that point, Hounslow had, had its full effect. Hounslow is a funny old place for anyone that's ever grown up in it. It's a bit transit, you know, like, it always feels like everyone's passing through to get to Heathrow. Um, right. And it's a, bit of a, it's a bit of a forgotten town, as was my school. It was always the school, and I, I think, if I'm right in saying, my school is still, like, bottom of the league. And it was a rough old, yeah, it was a rough old school, really. And it, how was how was school for you? I played football really a lot, Craig. So I kept out of trouble. Um, I was you just threw yourself into sports. Yeah, I was really good at football, and I, I played for Brentford when I was a kid, and I had loads of promise. But I was sort of going to this dance school at the same time. I had like these two lives growing up. Really, I went to this really posh dance school that a mate down my road had gone. Oh, there's this dance school around the corner. Do you want to go? And she ended up sort of going for a couple of weeks and she gave she she couldn't bear it. So she left and I sort of stayed because I thought, oh, I quite like this. Mm. But they were really posh. So I'd sort of be there trying to be someone I wasn't. And then at school as well, like I had my football, but I sort of felt like I didn't really belong there either. Like, um, yeah, I got through school by being really good at sports and, and just playing with the lads in the playground, really playground when you say when you say you didn't feel like you belonged Mm. at school what 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 do you mean by that did you did you have a good um group of friends or were you a bit of a loner and just you know play football yeah I was a floater I think you know I was I was all I think how I got through school like you looked at the you look at a girl the wrong way in 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 the school I went to and that was it you were in a fight and my brother went there, so I sort of had a bit of protection in that first year when I arrived, and it was right. terrifying, this school that I went to. But my mum sent me because my brother went there, and I didn't really want to go there. But, you know, it's a, I think now we're really choosy, aren't we, about schools. I haven't got kids, but I've, I know mates that are really, like, they move areas so they can get in that catchment area for that particular school. And I just yeah. don't think when we were growing up, that was it. You just went to the nearest school, so you'd be safe walking home. That was it, the case for us anyway as a working class family. My mum just sent me to a school that my brother was at and I was all right. Um, I was okay. But I think if I'd have been at a better school, I would have been a bit more academically driven. Um, but yeah, I, I, I kept my head down at school um, and I had my brother there for the first year. Um, but I felt like, especially when I started going to the dance school, I felt like there was something cool in me and I didn't know what it was. And I was hanging out with all these posh people that went to really private schools in, or went to stage schools. Um, and I sort of wanted to be part of that world but didn't feel good enough because I think if you are inherently working class, I always think when you're around posh people, you always feel a little bit like you're, you know, I don't know, I always feel like I'm on, on guard, sort of batting, trying to bat back as quickly as I can. And that's probably my own shit. But like as a working class kid and then, being around all those people, seeing another side of that life, being and not just the performing side, it was more to do with money and seeing their houses, you know, going, Oh, fucking yeah. hell, it's nice in my house. My mum kept a beautiful home, beautiful, you know, like you sit down and you're frightened you'd ruin all her scatter cushions. But yeah, I just, I, I, and then I'd go to school and I'd have this, I didn't really tell anyone I went dancing because people would be jealous and. So I just kept, no one really knew me that well at school. And also I was, I was also struggling with sexuality as well. So all of that sort of was going on. So, yeah, when you grow up working class kid in Hounslow, it's a bit of ducking and diving, really. I felt like I survived yeah. school, not sort of enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just sort of navigate your way through sometimes, don't you? And it's interesting what you say, that you're a floater, that you sort of, you don't belong to any sort of peer group, but you sort of... You, you know, you do what you do. You float between yeah. a lot of them to survive. Yeah, I remember we. I, I had to look after this girl that had come over from Nigeria, and she didn't speak a lot of English. And the teacher gave her to my friend, my friend Amanda and me. I was always really good mates with Amanda, and um, we looked after this girl called Ronke, and um, it was sort of like our second or third year. I think she gave her to us because we just we were nice and we showed her around and. You know, we stuck up for him, people being horrible to her because she didn't, her language was really limited. And yeah, we just became really good friends there. And it turns out she really, really hard faced cow and she was really hard. So no one touched us because <laughs> we hung out <laughs> with Ronke. Ronke always had our back because we looked after her from the beginning. So yeah, we had protection by the end. I had a bit of a girl group by the end, by the time I hit sort of puberty, you know, but my first four years at school was all about just get out, play football and sort of keep the girls happy and 
not coming for me. As long as no one was coming for you, you just that's it, you carried on. Funny, isn't it? I, I haven't thought about school for ages. Yeah, it's interesting isn't it, when we go back and we regress and we, we think about school life and what we were like then and you go, oh, God, that's such a, that's a different lifetime. It's a different person to who... You could you we couldn't you couldn't pay me to go back to school, that's for sure. I look at my niece, I've so many conversations where she's fifteen, bless her, and she just hates school and I get it, I just totally get it. It's so hard for some kids, you know, and then some kids have a great time, don't they? Best years of their life, you know. Yeah, it's true. I mean but to be honest, you know, I mean my little boy's nearly nine and he love I mean, he really loves school. <clears throat> he doesn't necessarily love the work, but he certainly loves the social. But he's at primary school, isn't it. he? I quite liked my primary school. Did you know? Yeah. Where was that? It was lovely. I, I had a great teacher. Um, and which is, key, which is key. Yes, yeah. And I remember, I never forget, I've got this really vivid memory of one of the other teachers running in and saying, she's gone, she's gone, and it was when Thatcher had gone. And I remember my teacher punching the air, and it was the first time I thought, oh, is, is she really bad then, Margaret Thatcher? Because like, I didn't engage in politics at that age, not really. Um, and I and then I remember always thinking, oh, there's something really great about this woman. She's really liberal. Anyway, it turns out years later, obviously she's gay, and obviously as a young girl who didn't know at all about sexuality, then I I think I was yeah I was looking up to her, and I didn't know at the time why, but now looking back in hindsight, obviously something in my instinct told me I was a little like her maybe. But she was wonderful, really brilliant, and she I had a really great education in those first years. It's when I moved to senior school that it all got horrible, really. Do you remember a significant moment when you were coming to terms with your sexuality? Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Because you think... Because um, I quite... You know, I've always sort of really liked boys' company. Obviously, I played football with them and I was always their mate. So I was sort of like the perfect girlfriend growing up. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I I remember it was at senior school, actually. When I was younger, I didn't think about it much. I remember being intrigued by certain women, but I was much older. And I just thought, oh, it's because I want to be like them or I really admired them. And I think that's how it yeah. starts. It starts there and looking back. And I remember I was in my probably like, I was like 14. And I remember this TIE group came into my, it was when I was at senior school, and they performed, and I really loved my drama, obviously, and I was obsessed with drama. And, so, yeah, this TIE group come in, and I remember this actress, and just, yeah, I'd, like, find out all her timetable and f- hang outside her room, you know, when she had a break, and I'd just to say, hi, miss, you know. <laughs> and I remember looking back now, that was the point. I just thought, I want to be like her because she's an actress. But I think looking back now and, and all the feelings that were stirring, you know, uh, it was definitely uh, a part... Uh, yeah, I think it, it, it sort of saying, yes, you are gay, I think you're gay. But I, I ignored it, ignored it for years. Um, that's another tricky thing, being a very working-class person and being gay, you know. It's um, it's a tricky one to manoeuvre when you grow up in a place where no-one's even met a, a gay guy, let alone yeah. a lesbian, you know. So, But I think that was it. It was around about 13, 14 that I thought, oh, no. And I always wanted to, I always got really obsessed with any TV programme that had any sort of gay storyline. Do you remember Brookside with Anna Frail? Well, of course, that yeah. Huge that was such landmark television that moment, wasn't and it? And watching that, I mean, everyone was obviously hooked, weren't they, by that, yeah. that whole storyline. And it was, wasn't it like the first ever lesbian kiss aired or something? God, we're going back well, now, I, aren't we? I mean, I think it certainly was, uh, you know, most definitely on a... Uh, you know, um, pre-watershed soap opera, yeah, definitely. Because, but remember the um, when Jeanette Winterson, uh, her book "Orange Is Not the Only Fruit" mm-hmm. was adapted for telly, and it was like, oh, yeah, I was just you know shock all around that this was happening. But this was like you know that that was that was you know nine o'clock drama yeah. BBC two. And I think obviously as well with with soaps being so accessible. And you know, and your your uncle Dave's watching it, and you you know might not necessarily tune in to watch you know um, Orange Isn't the Only Fruit, but it's like 
yeah, I remember that moment very vividly. And not just going, oh, wow, you know, oh, what a, you know, shocking two women kissing. I remember, like, wanting to rewind it, watch it again, and rewind it and watch it again. And where I could, you know, I'd try and, like, watch the omnibus so I could watch it again. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. And did you, did you know at that time, yeah, that that's... No, that's I just... Who... I, I think I kidded... I, I think I... Looking back, yes, of course, but I think I was just confused. I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know, but I still sort of quite fancy that boy over there. And, you know, I think I, I, I wasn't a forward girl in terms of my sexuality. Like, I was still climbing trees at 14. I didn't wear mascara and, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really explore all of that. So I think because it came yeah. to me a bit later, it took a while to sort of figure it all out. And, you know, I had boyfriends, I always had boyfriends, it's quite, yeah, but they didn't ever last very long. Remember when I came out, my mum said, you know, I was, we, I think, you know, we always knew because you could never hold down a boyfriend. Because <laughs> <laughs> it would just get to the point where, you know, they wanted more and I just was like, oh no, we're just mates, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so- it was like, the, it, it took a long time. And actually it wasn't, my family were wonderful when I came out thank god um it was actually you know my, more my own struggle that stopped me not not anyone else's really do, do your own struggle when you say what it, as in terms of um you know a long period of repression or a long period of figuring out exactly who you are or being honest with yourself before you can be honest with anybody else? Yeah, I think it was being honest with myself and then being terrified of losing everyone. I think that's what stops a lot of people from coming out, the being terrified of losing your, you know, your parents and, you know, friends you don't worry about so much. I mean, when I was obviously coming out a bit younger, I was worried about some of my girlfriends and a couple of them said, oh, did you ever fancy me growing up? And, you know, the answer was always no. Um, But, yeah, I think it was I didn't want to be gay. That was it. I didn't want to be gay. And I'm sure along the way that is conditioning for sure. Not anyone's fault. You know, your parents are doing the best job they know how. But when, but, yeah, of course. But my family didn't mix with liberal types, you know. They, I've, I grew up in, you know, my stepdad was in the army, military man, and um, my mum was a working class woman who didn't rock the boat, you know. Always voted for the same party because that's what they do. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't. I, I think it's conditioning, but. I was never sort of, you know, never, my family were never sort of, you know, talking down about gay people. It just wasn't talked about. No one knew a gay person and that was that. And also they're of a different generation. Of course, of course. You know, it's... uh, I I remember years ago, and this is no um, disrespect to my mum, and I love her very dearly and she's an amazing woman, but I remember when she used to find out that um, certain people on telly who she really loved were gay, and she goes, oh, but I found, oh, I found out they were gay. Like, 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 she felt really sorry for him. Yeah, that, that, yeah. They were gay. Well, my mum would and say, she, oh, now I've just found out he's gay. What a shame. What a waste. You know. What a waste. But like, they don't mean anything by it. It's not. It's. I mean, it, it's just what they it know, is, isn't it? And it's just what they know. Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. Now you know, with the way the world is and where we are. Oh God, things yeah. Are, think, things are slowly changing. I think. I think my family particularly now, you know, it's like, it's just not even thought about. It just doesn't even register. You know, I still go to family parties and someone will tell me a gay joke thinking it's funny and it doesn't matter because it's about gay men and not women. Um, and I just sort of have to gently remind them that, you know, you're telling that to a gay person, by the way. It's still, it's still quite insulting. Oh, actually, you're, you're different though, aren't you? You're different though, aren't you? Get all of that. Not from my immediate family. Um, they've, um, you know, my, my parents have been wonderful, particularly actually my stepdad was amazing. And I, I actually thought he'd find it the hardest because being a military man, you know, really disciplined sort of upbringing. And, um, and actually he was really, really wonderful. And uh, is actually my mum struggled a bit more than than him, and I think had he not been so brilliant about it, I think she may have struggled more. But it takes time when you come out, and I think you know, do you know what bothers me now when people say things like, "Oh, I mean, he's gay. Come on, I mean, why doesn't he just come out?" It's it's twenty twenty, and it's like because they might not be ready. It's their struggle, and I, I'm I'm not down with that. People going, "Oh, come out, it's fine." It's like until you're struggling with that and you understand that journey. It's not easy. 
even if your family are brilliant and liberal and da da da, it's your own struggle. Yeah. It's how you feel about it. And back then, and you know, if you'd have given me a pill to be straight, I probably would have done because back then I would have thought life will be easier if I'm not gay. And that was that, you know. Don't of course think and that. What, and what came to a head, Laura, that you, you felt that, no, I, I have to not only be honest with myself, but certainly be honest with the people I love. Was it, was any sort of repression making you unhappy? Yeah, I was very unhappy and I always felt, you know, like there was... I, it, the only way I can ever explain it is when I came out, I woke up and for the first time in my life, and I came out at 23, that I didn't have a burden on my shoulder. It felt like a burden, a secret, a dirty secret. And I'd never really done anything about my sexuality. It was, it was. I know, always knew it along the way. I, it took me falling in love to tell them and to come out. And because I felt like it would be taken seriously if I meet someone and fall in love with them, then I'll come out yeah. because then they'll have to take it seriously. And I think, yeah, that's that that that's how I came out. Really, I fell in love. Um, but I pretended throughout the whole of my three years at drama school to be straight. Until, you know, a girl in my year, we just, by the end of our three years, just don't know why we ended up working together and just fell in love. And that was that, you know, but it was just so exhausting pretending all the time. I, I used to I used to do this thing where I'd go, mm, I haven't had a boyfriend about six months, just so no one, you know, thinks anything or starts chatting. I'll just go out with yeah. him in, over there on the acting course. He's all right. Do you know what I mean? I used to do things like that all yeah. the time. Dreadful. Just so that no one would suspect or think, you know, why has Laura not had a boyfriend in a while? Dreadful, isn't it, really? But the, th- but the thing is, I mean, I d- you know, you say dreadful, I don't know. I mean, it's very natural because if you're not... If you're dragging around dishonesty, mm. it 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 becomes heavier and heavier. Of course, because it, all those uh, people uh, that you get uh, close to, you think, well, they're just going to think I've been lying to them. and Yeah. And, and you know, you spin off in a cycle of worry... And then you start to get lost and it's whatever it is, whether it's about your sexuality or it's about the predicament that you're in as a human being, whatever that may be, it's a heavy, heavy weight and it's a huge burden. Mm. And sometimes you feel so lost that there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, it feels like, I suppose it's like... um you know, you just so far, far down in that hole, you think, oh, it's just easier not to. And I just always felt like it's just easier not to rock the boat. Grew up in a household where, you know, my sisters had quite volatile relationships. Um, and I always felt like the child that didn't bring any problems. And then when I was gay, I thought, oh, but now I'm bringing another problem. My parents have, you know, really had it over the years, you know, dealing with everyone's issues, all my, you know, my sisters and my brother and just lots of things along the way. I thought I'm the only one who hasn't brought many problems. And I saw it as a problem. I, yeah. I, so I thought it's easier for me to live with this burden than to give it to anyone else. And yeah. See, that's so interesting when you say it, that you, you know, that it manifested itself to you as a problem. Yeah. And like, oh, absolutely. Oh. It's exactly what it was. And then you obviously, did you, I mean, were you feeling like huge guilt that, that if you said this, then you're going to be laying this at somebody else's doorstep? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't really thought about that before, but yeah. Yeah, I think I, I absolutely did feel like that, particularly where my parents were involved. Friends were different. You just didn't want them to think you, you'd, you hadn't been honest with them or shown who you really are. And that's the truth. When you come out, you go, I'm exactly the same. You just didn't know this bit about me. Yeah. It doesn't define yeah, you. And I know I know we all know that now, but back then it felt like it really defined one, you know. And who, did you, was it like your mum and your stepdad that you came out to first or was it, or did you ease yourself in with a, with a close friend? I, we eased ourselves, we, we both, uh, we were both obviously coming out. So we both eased in with our, our drama school mates who were obviously amazing and they sort of right. all knew anyway because uh, we were hanging out all the time. I don't know who we thought we <laughs> well, were fooling. I, I was going to say, did you have anybody that went, yeah, I've got, well... Yeah, of course they I were mean. like, babe, we've known for ages. Crazy. You know, we're just waiting yeah. for you to tell us. Um, so that was an easy thing. And I, I remember because um, my first girlfriend is, um, it, she's like 
with with a she's married now to a man and got kids and I was actually only her only ever girlfriend so at the time coming out for me I was like I remember being really upset I cried a lot just the relief of telling somebody um and uh, she was actually quite strong uh, and the truth was is because I'd been struggling my whole life with my sexuality she hadn't so for her she'd just fallen in love with the person and that was that but I remember yeah. all my friends going but you were so much more upset you were just you didn't stop crying and I said oh, I was just relieved I've been holding this in for so long but it's interesting to look at the two reactions of someone who was just falling in love with someone else that hadn't struggled with their sexuality really to somebody that's been hiding it for so long and the, the relief that I, I felt with that but telling my parents was the next level it was yeah it was uh God, I'll never forget that night. I actually came out to them. We were in the summer sh- summer house of, at the bottom of our garden and we were watching Will and Grace. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even a joke. Like, I hadn't even thought about it because it was my mum that pointed because I had come out. We like, had just sat there for ages being quiet once I'd cried. And my mum said, oh, the irony, we're watching Will and Grace, you know. Um but yeah, I, I I actually didn't say the words I'm gay. It was I got really upset, and my dad said, "What is it?" My mum thought, asked all the questions: "Are you pregnant? Are you in debt?" I was going, I go, no, no, I just couldn't get it out. I couldn't say the yeah. words. And my dad and my my dad turned around and said, "Are you gay, love?" And I just went, oh, yeah. and uh, and then that was that. And he said, "We've we we knew we've we've known for some time." So I thought, oh fucking hell, right. You think, I think mostly your parents know, I just do. I think, how can they not? I think yeah. I think mostly they know. Even if they think they don't know, I think instinct tells them. It took a while and, and then once you sort of introduce the girlfriend for the first time and it's sort of done then and everyone's like, oh, it's all right and everyone's normal and it's fine. Because we're just human beings and we just fall in love with who we fall in love with and that's it. That's it, right? So, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I like to think so, yeah. Yeah, I didn't think no, I'd talk about my coming out tale. No, I mean, <laughs> look, as ever with these podcasts and these conversations, it's 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 as as organic as possible uh, conversation between two people. That's always that's, that's what I always wanted. Yeah, that's what I love when to, I listen is, back to your your other uh, you know I've listened yeah. to lots of people, and I, I love that about that because that's life, and it we go off on different tangents, different directions. Oh, well, exactly, and you know we're forever veering off road all the time, and that's what we do. That scattergun approach to conversations, I love because sometimes, especially me. I mean, I know I don't do the the lion's share of the talking on these podcasts, but um. You know, I'm accused a lot of the time by my, you know, my brain not connecting with my mouth because I've got sometimes I've got so many thoughts. It's just sort of. Oh, I, just I sort of, feel like that all the time. I just think you've overshared there, just, Laura. What have you done? <laughs> it blurts out of my mouth without thinking. But uh, Laura, I want to jump back now mm. to um, the end of school, and we know that drama was playing a large part of school but also football was as well so what what was the the next step for you so my I, I, i'd heard about this place called the brit school and i didn't want to do my a levels well i did but i did I only wanted to do english i wasn't interested in it. i wasn't hugely academic i'm terrible at maths like shocking I'd, a, I'd never forget my exam, my GCSE exam, like cold sweat, really bad, and science equally. I think I got like a double E for science or something <laughs> like that. Really bad, but I'm really good at French art and drama and, and English. So I knew I sort of wanted to do an English A-level, but I didn't want to stay in, in Hounslow. I was like, as soon as I could get the hell out of that school, I wanted to. And um, I'd heard about this place called the Brit School. I'd been going to this like amateur dramatics place and someone had told me about it and um, I knew it was free because it's the only uh, non-fee-paying performing arts college in the UK, I believe, still. Um, So I knew that money wouldn't be an issue. Um, And I always had, as soon as I heard that there was a thing, such a thing called drama school, I always had that ahead of me, but I didn't know I was going to do it, but I thought I need, uh, that's, that's how I do it because all those posh girls at my school at the dance place that's what they did that's what they've done and that's how you become an actor so 
And was this something at the time that you thought, mm, yeah, I think that's for me? Or were you still sort of playing around? I think I felt torn about football and acting up until I was about 14. So basically, I used to play for Brentford, like the, they're called Junior Bees. Um, and then I started playing for this a, a, a team called District Line, strangely. Um I don't know why it's somewhere on the long district line, and right. um, and my dad, my my biological dad, he started coaching. So he used to be like a Sunday league referee, um, and he got me involved in this team. And uh, a girl from my school, actually Louise, who from Hounslow, we both played for Brentford. I think someone must have come and scouted us. I can't remember how I got to Brentford. I remember it being through a PE teacher at school because he used to scout boys for Chelsea and stuff but he was also like a PE teacher don't ask me that's right. sort of what I remember um yeah. so I was always I knew I was a talented footballer and I got when I was playing for district line uh we were in like semi-finals of some tournament and got scouted by Arsenal and got offered a trial at 14 for Arsenal but really weirdly and I had a my mum had said, look, everything's starting to clash. You need to make a decision. And I don't think I did need to make a decision. It's like, love my mum dearly. But I feel like, I feel like subconsciously there was something in my mum going, don't let her do football. Because I think it might have had a play on my sexuality. I don't know. I don't think subconsciously she did this. And she probably, like, I didn't, I did not. Um, but she said to me, just remember, there's no, there's no money in women's football. Like, I'm just worried about you going down this route. And you're really talented and you can sing and dance and act like, I don't know why you wouldn't pursue that. Is she aware, was she not aware of the precarious nature of becoming an actor? Clearly not, <laughs> babe. I mean, she'd like, literally... that she's no, no money in women's football. I know, right? Can you, do, can you bear it? I know. I mean, now, yeah. obviously, they earn, you can earn pretty good money. Well, you know, only a few Both. weeks ago. Well, the last, uh, the last podcast we recorded one-to-one post all this uh was with uh, karen bardsley oh my god amazing yeah up in manchester oh, which amazing. Was amazing it was just fantastic talk i bet oh i'll have to have a listen to that um yeah um so yeah um, the, my, i had a manager because at this point i weren't playing with my dad there was another guy can't remember his name that really upsets me i can never remember his name the guy that i remember him calling my mum and we were on the downstairs phone and she called me and she said it's, I think his name was Paul or something, I can't remember. Um, and anyway, got on the phone and he said, what's this about you not going to go to this trial for Arsenal? And I just said, I I just, everything's clashing and my mum's saying I can't do both. And he's like, you're mad, you could play for England. And I just said, well, it's what I've decided. And that was that. And that was when I walked away from football. And I'll always think back to that and think, oh, I wonder what would have happened if I'd have just gone Sliding doors, right? Do you do you when you say that? Do you think about it or occasionally, it, or, or 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 is it a regret? Because those two are very they're, they're very different, aren't they? I don't regret because, as it turns out, I do think I was meant to be an actor, and I think part of I mean because when I played football, I was a striker. Because I loved, I loved scoring, I loved showing off, uh, and that was part of being a striker. But I was a bit prissy on the field. I didn't like to tackle, um, and I, and I've, I've got a dicky knee, so I reckon I'd have definitely been injury bound. Right. Uh, so all of those things play on my mind. But I think that's me excusing and sort of going, well, that's why you made the decision, Lauren. It's absolutely right to make that decision. I do think there's always part of me though that thinks, I wonder what if, what if I'd have gone to that trial? Yeah. Who knows? Do you do you still uh, play now at all? I'll have a little kick about if there's a football floating around. When when we were on the set of King Gary, the the, the boys were all playing at um, lunch and whatever, and they were trying to get me over there. But obviously, I'm not stupid, and I didn't want to get injured. <laughs> so because um, they were really going for it, the crew. I think they were hacking off everyone's legs. It was terrible. They were really going for it, so I didn't get involved. But I had a little kick about, you know, and a few keepy uppies, and do miss it though. I've always flirted with the idea of maybe going to do a little Sunday league somewhere. But you know what it's like when you're an actor and you think I don't want to like let anyone down and go. Sorry, I can't come to that on the Wednesday when you, you know, um, 
practicing I was about to say rehearsing then uh, practicing um and you just yeah I think well, if you're going to join a team you've got to be able to commit to a Wednesday evening practice haven't you, in a Sunday you know Sunday match and we can't always do that can we so of course and also you know you don't want to be mid filming something and then you have an injury and you break a leg of course or, an arm or something of course then, but I love a kick if there's yeah. a ball I want to kick it for sure so it's always still it's always going to still there in you isn't it? yeah yeah, it's um, I love it, and I love watching football. And uh, you know, I'm a Liverpool fan. I didn't know if you know that. Did you know that? I didn't know that, Laura. You know, you know that I know nothing about football. Do you not? No, <laughs> I'm like I. Why should you? Why should you? Well, it's just you know, it's just like oh well, boys like football. I don't really. I just never really been into it at all. I just can't get it at all. I. I, I appreciate it yeah and i understand people's love for it yeah and i and i respect it but for me no it's just never clicked well, yeah i get that like i've never really been into rugby um or cricket so uh, yeah and I'm, i love my sports you know um um, yeah, I love my sport, but my brother's a big, uh, really great at golf. My brother, but you know, he he couldn't ever pursue that because we didn't have the money. You have to rich man's game golf, and um, absolutely, he was super talented as well. It's it's really gutting because I know he could have been amazing, but uh, yeah, we just didn't, didn't have enough money to keep him going. It was it's unreal the money you got to put into golf, but. Um, yeah, it's a shame you weren't good at football, really, because it costs now to kick a ball about, does it? <laughs> no, exactly. And what a great education for some kids, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's all we did on my street. We went out and played football. And that's how I got good. I played the boys right from a young age. Sometimes that's what the summer holidays were. Yeah, you wasn't kicked, it? kicked out and you just you go off with your mates and you do what you do. And if you're, you know, in the football leagues with the kids, then that's what you do all day. And then you come home sweaty as hell at 5.30 and you want your sandwiches and then you go back out for a couple of hours. Yeah. Do you know what? When I, if I ever walk past like certain fields or whatever, and there's like a a kids match going on, you know, like under sevens or under 12s or whatever, you see a local football match with the kids. I always stop and watch and I love it. Just any bit of football, you know, just love that. And it really takes me back you know, that coming back red-faced, gasping for an orange squash and, and your dinner and, you know, grass stains all over your knees. And, yeah, those that's what I love to look back on in my childhood as opposed to school's kind of... I've blocked it out, really, school. Um, well, I say keep the happy memories alive. Yeah. And, and bin off the ones that are not helpful. Yeah. So, I mean, oh, God, I've gone off on a tangent, haven't I? But what was what we talked about? Yeah, so I went to Brit school. Um, so you did go there? Yeah, I did, yeah. You had to audition for it. So yeah. I turned up, did an audition. I think I had to sing a bit of a song and a, do a bit of a speech, which I think, I don't know, someone would give me an am, amdram. Um, yeah, and and then I went there for two years and I I started doing art A-level and English A-level and then a B-tech in performing arts and you get an A-level in performing arts. And I sat in English for two lessons and I thought, oh, fuck this. I want to. I want to go over there and do some extra dance and singing. And yes, I stopped doing the A level art and English. I mean, can you bear it? Wish I'd done it. Yeah, yeah. My mum went mad, but I didn't want to do it. So you were allowed to. (laughs) Sorry, this was all at the Brit School, wasn't it? Yeah. So you you were allowed to um, cease carrying on with that side of that education well yeah because you're you're only going there for the a level so you can just go there and do the b tech in performing arts and a level art um, a level um, in performing arts whatever they called it Um, but then the other a levels on top would be considered extra and up to you so dropping it i remember not it not being an issue i think i walked out and i don't want to do it anymore (laughs) and how old were you at this point laura so a level years you were we were it's like 16 to 18 at the brit school okay Mm. And that was um, that was great, you know. Load of working class kids that were just sort of talented and didn't know what to do with it. It's a great place, Brit School. Still, you know, still going, and it's in Croydon. First taste of Croydon. Um, did you did you feel a real sense of community there? Yeah, yeah. First time I thought, oh, this is it. I've arrived. <laughs> Because you know what it's like with even being an actor, you know, just working with different age groups, and you know, I've got mates. I don't really, 
few mates my own age, but I've got loads of mates in their 50s and I've got some mates that are in their 20s that I've worked with. Like, that's what I love about our industry. It's like... Yeah, it is incredible, isn't it? Yeah, you just don't feel limited in who you could meet or who you could mix with. And I think back when I was younger, I thought I would probably never have a posh mate. I've got loads of posh mates now, (laughs) (laughs) obviously. Um, Yeah. And also you just get a bit older, don't you? You just think, oh, fuck it, it's who I am. You like, you like me or you don't, you know. So it was a happy time yeah. for two years once you'd made that decision to go, right, I'm cutting that out of my life and I'm going to focus on this. Yeah, it was absolutely, yeah. I felt like I'd arrived, yeah, like I said. And, yeah, and then, I mean, they just, they're brilliant. They took you and they just got you ready for drama school, basically. And then they sort of said, yeah, have a look at this place, this place, this place, that might suit you. And off I trotted and then... I didn't get in the first year because, I don't know, just didn't get in the first year. But I only, w- I only went for, like, one college. I don't know why. went for, like, G- right. GSA because I used to do musicals. I don't know if you know that. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, so but I ended up going to Mountview and I did the three-year musical theatre course there. Do you know that's where I went? Well, I heard on your podcast, I think when you were talking ah, to Sophie, yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> um, I think it, you said it, you went it to It does Mountview. come up. Yeah, 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 of course. Well, I didn't know that, Laura. yeah. Because I thought, oh, do I know you? Did we go at the same time? But you you, I, you must have been there just a bit before me. But, um, yeah, but I wanted to act, you see, really. I, I, but I got a scholarship there and I didn't get a scholarship for... I, I got really close for RADA. That's re- really where I wanted to go, but it didn't work out. And at the end, they said to me, Cause you have to sing at a RADA audition. Well, I did anyway. And they went, oh, you've got a very good voice. Why don't you go and do a musical theatre course? So I thought, oh, all right. And then I got offered a scholarship at Mountview. So I just went where the scholarship was, really. Because my mum and dad didn't have money, no one, not even close, you know. No, of course not. And we know, we all know, um, especially when I'm talking to actors on this podcast, how um, expensive that is. And it just, everything, it just hemorrhages money. It's, um, yeah, and and <sighs> unfortunately, I mean, when I went, I think uh, we had a Labour government. So, I mean, the... They were calling them dance and drama awards. That the amount of scholarships floating about was unreal. It was fantastic. Yeah. So I went just at the right time. But I think now, like imagine now trying to get in, like it's, it's elitist and again and and yeah, you can't go to drama school unless you've got some money now, or unless you're super lucky and you get one or two of the scholarships that are floating about for that year. It's it's really sad, really. Um, it is. It, it's a real shame that. Uh, education is blocked yeah for for certain people yeah yeah and it's um it's something I feel quite passionate about really and I I just because there's you know having been there myself and I saw you know lots of my Brit schoolmates ended up sort of having kids and not really doing it but they all had a shot at it at least and that's the thing that's, that's all we can ask for is you know that people deserve a shot but the great thing is now I think um that the drama school route isn't the only path. It isn't the only avenue. Not not know. now, of course, with on- online now. and I mean, socials and all that. Yeah, of course. And, and also the certain cast and directors, especially people like Shaheen Bay and Des Hamilton, who, you know, get out of the office and go look for new talent, and wh- whether it's, you know, Oldham Theatre Workshop, Nottingham, yeah. you know, wherever it is. They'll, they'll go and hunt it down. Yeah, and I, I you're absolutely right. And I, I've seen loads of Shaheen. She's fantastic, like, looking for new, exciting talent. And especially for TV as well, you don't need to have, you know, trodden the boards and done your check-off and your whatever. You just need to be real and tell the truth and and be able to locate that. And I just I, I, I just think that I'd, I wish more cast and directors would do that. I mean, I know, like... Just myself being working class and being in the comedy circuit and how difficult it was to be that person and, like, you know, I'll go on and on about my class because I feel quite passionate about it and it took me a while to get going because obviously I started in musical theatre, so it took me a massive while. It took me a long chunk of my time to make the leap over to acting because who wants to know when you're a twirly, you know? Like, you, uh, what I wanted to be doing was comedy and I didn't know how to do that at all, so I went on the comedy circuit because... Someone had said to me once, you know, if you want to do comedy, get on the comedy circuit. So that's what I did. As in what, Laura? Stand up? Um, I was in a double act. 
called Checkley and Bush. Um, And we did about three Edinburgh's and, yeah, it was enough to... uh, We we sort of did... We were around for about five years, but we only did three Edinburgh's because we never had the money. And it's so expensive to go to Edinburgh if you want to do it right. Um, You know, people go, oh, just go up there, you know, do the free fringe and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, but I've got to have the money to take that month off work, pay for me accommodation and my food, pay for leaflets and posters. And, you know, the list is endless. Even if you're doing the free fringe, you've got to have a bit of money. And my mum didn't have it. Um, My my comedy partner's parents didn't have it. They certainly wouldn't give it to us. So we... And also it's very rare to be going up to Edinburgh and walking out with the bit of spare change in your pocket. I mean, you're going to be losing money. A hundred percent, yeah. And we were clever about, we raised money. We had we put on a big shindig one night with all our family and friends, charged them some ticket money, invited loads of our comedy mates and singers, and we raised some money and wrote lots of letters. And we got there just by, you know, skin of our skin of our teeth. Um, and we got, we got uh, yeah, we got a decent venue, a s- sort of afternoon slot, and we didn't really suit that because we swear a lot. Um, and we were a bit like Marmite, you know, we, that people got us or they didn't, you know, we were we were a bit older coming onto the comedy circuit. We'd sort of had our own little careers. I'd, you know, been musical theatre and my other mate Vix had done a bit of telly and stuff. And so we were going up there at sort of 30. She was 33 and I was 30. That was our first Edinburgh. And we felt a bit old and a bit uncool and we had our accents. And I remember one review said it was like a couple of cockney birds having a fight outside a kebab shop. And I thought, <laughs> great, we'll pop that on the post. <laughs> That's a fucking great review. Isn't it I'd brilliant? Definitely go and see it. Isn't it brilliant? Well, we, we, I can't remember who wrote that, but we, we love it. And thank you for that. Cause, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was just never, it was just, it was, difficult and you know at the time when certainly when we tried to make it in the comedy world it was very saturated I found with middle class and Oxbridge graduates you know. And do you still find that now when you're you're in the acting world? Um, and, and I'm not this is not a bait to posh bash at all. No I'm not no of about course that not. At all, but it's not about that it just it, I'm just very interested about <clears throat> how sometimes uh, you know from a working class point of view how it makes you feel if you're do you know like if you're at the do's or at the awards yeah which is never I mean, there was a time for me that I felt and I'm going back a fair few years mm. I would feel embarrassed yeah uh, to and I didn't feel that I uh, deserved to be at these places and these awards. So therefore I, I would become more Northern. Yes. To, to, yes. To, to counteract anything else that may come in my way. So I would, I would raise the shield of Northernness straight away to go, even if you, you're not attacking me just to say, this is here. Yeah. I totally get that. And, um, and that really resonated with me when you said, I felt like I didn't belong there. I shouldn't be there. I often feel like that a lot in life, really. Think, oh fucking hell, you know, shouldn't be a dog, you know. And I think that is just, and it's not because that's happening now. I think it's kind of, um, I mean, if there are people that are angry about class, I do get it. I think getting started is tricky, and that's a, that's a separate conversation about getting started as a working class, um, yeah. uh, underprivileged yeah. sort of background. But um, in terms of like when you're in it, and uh, no, I, I don't feel like that now. But then I'm in a position where I've had. So I've had a really nice run at it the last few years and I've had some really great jobs. But yeah. I met a team that I've met people along the way that understood me. But I think that's that's it anyway, right? Being understood as an actor or a comedian or a voice. Or a human being. As a human being, I yeah. Mean, you know, we, you know it, it comes up so often in life, you know, even when we're talking to friends, not even on the podcast, you know, if you find your tribe and you find the people who you click with, now whether that's... Uh, your friends, your tribe of friends that you're with mm. on a day-to-day life, or if you're upset, you can ring them, or if you're you have you're you're full of joy and you can share that information, or if you're in a you know is in a working environment, it's about finding people who you click with. Full stop. Isn't oh it? God, yeah, absolutely. In in every aspect of your life, in every corner of yeah. it. Um, I. 
I don't talk, talking about the oh, just feel like the classing's prevalent now. No, but I think it has something to do with your casting. You know, like I, I don't really get seen for a, a posh bird, but why would I? Like when someone else is authentically inherently that like there's nothing worse than hearing someone doing a cockney accent they can't do it or they're you know but i don't think i think it i think there's some bits you know i think there's um an element of so for example uh if you're talking about a show like mrs brown's boys um and people a lot of people have opinions on that show right should i be talking about this or we're gonna <laughs> We can we can talk about anything more. So, totally for example, funny. I watched this great clip of Kathy Burke when she won one of the comedy awards uh, for "Gimme Gimme Gimme." I know exactly the clip you mean, and I love it. But please carry on. Uh, uh, it resonates <laughs> with me that clip because yeah, she stands up and "Gimme Gimme Gimme" at the time was panned by a lot of highbrow kind of reviewers and people yeah. saying it was broad, it was crass, it was this, it was that. But we cannot, uh, it was undeniably, for me, funny. And I think, for me, that's my taste. And it appealed to the masses. Now, Mrs Brown's Boys, for example, not um, not for me, that show. However, um, my family love it, right? My mum, my dad, lot of my aunties, my uncles. It gets millions and millions for their figures and... When they win awards, people turn their nose up and they have something to say about it. And I don't like that. I think it's uncool and I think it's still something we're all working through. And I think, why have you got a comment on that? If you don't find it funny, that's up to you. But if something else highbrow won, I bet you wouldn't be slagging it off on Twitter. That's how I feel. I feel like there's a gun in for that show because it's broad, it's whatever. It might not be to your taste, I, I don't know, and, and that to me feels like a there's a classist thing going on. There's that word I've made that up, but you know what I mean. No, but I do know what you mean, and I, I think you're right. And also, there's something really simple that we can do, and it's dead easy. Switch over, yeah. Don't that, don't watch that it. That is exactly don't what I say it. about anything. You know, I do I do comedy, and I do all different types of comedy, and I don't. If someone said to me it weren't for me, I'd never be insulted by that. And that's the thing, like, when we were doing our shows in Edinburgh, I don't mind if you don't like this show. I don't mind if you don't think we're very funny. But don't slag off that we're not talented or that we haven't got here and uh, we haven't spent time writing it or that it doesn't appeal to somebody. And that's it, right? And I I just think, I never get insulted by, you know, oh, that show should never have won that award. How dare I just don't get like that. I just think, oh, good on them. Good on them. The thing (laughs) is, certainly with comedy, because, you know, I, you know, anybody that knows me even through this podcast knows uh, my love of comedy is what I grew up on comedy it's it's there's such a broad aspect of comedy and it shouldn't be for everybody you should like certain things and different things and everybody should have different tastes we shouldn't all agree on everything and that's fantastic yeah but I, I had to take someone uh, to task on social... Well, it wasn't on social media. I did it privately. Yeah. Because they were in a... I've got to be careful with my words here, Laura. All right. Um, but they were in a position where they were reviewing or previewing right. television television programmes. And they gave a scathing review of something that hadn't even been broadcast yet. Aye, 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 yeah. And I thought it was it was punching down, and I thought it was really unfair and mean-spirited. Yeah. And I don't like that. And that's, look, if your job is, a, is of a reviewer and wants something as uh, premiered and the public have had a chance to look at it, and had to think about it, fine, you can say whatever you want. But prior to something coming out, it's 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 just fucking mean. It is, isn't it? And that, I mean, I mean, yeah, getting into hope. And, and, you know, it's like, well, you, again, in a way, we're going back to the, it's a, a position of power. Mm. You've been, you've been given 
preview tapes of something here. So you're in a certain position. So you're a level of power. So for you to to punch down that way is really unfair because a lot of those people in this certain television program put their heart and soul into it and work really fucking hard to get there. And you're already preaching the word that you think is an absolute pile of shit. It just it blows my mind those those reviews. You know, you get reviewers going, "Well, I hate musicals. Or why are you reviewing them then?" Like, you know, don't send. We used to get like eighteen year old Oxbridge graduates come and review us, and it was like as if he's going to find these two thirty year old women who are from South London, very working class. He's never going to find us funny. We're fighting a losing battle, and I think that whole previewing thing is just. And then you just think, God, if you've got a if you've got to enjoy your power so much by ruining someone's opportunity and it's not even come yet, I know that's your own shit and it's, you know, it's just such poor form, isn't it? Like, I can't... Yeah, I think it really is. I mean, but because what I did on this occasion, and the thing is I don't have any other beef with this specific situation and that's why I privately messaged this company to say look, I really want you to take this with uh, with the grace that it's intended. I, I, I'm not telling you how to do your job by any means, but I think your, your tactics were slightly bullying and I don't think it's fair. Um, but you take that however you want. I, I don't think that's... That, I don't think it's on, really. No. It's mean and it's nasty and it's unfair in such a difficult industry. And anyway, they did message me back. Oh, yeah. And they said, Craig, thanks so much for your message. Um, this is something that we need to look at. And we've uh, we've taken down the posts. Oh, OK. And, and, and you're right. It, it wasn't... A, it wasn't... It's, basically... It, it ain't a cool thing to do. That's great. And it's great that they yeah. listened and that they learned from that because we're all allowed to do that, aren't we? We're allowed to evolve well, and learn. And Exactly. And we all make mistakes. And, yeah, we, we're allowed to make those mistakes and learn from it. But the thing is, I didn't go, you know, because we know sometimes that social media can be such a toxic yeah. place. Yeah, and I mean, I've found, yeah. found it a really positive place, I must admit. Very rarely have I bumped into nastiness yeah i've been lucky yeah 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 but um if in high you know i could have just gone on the feed and just yeah said said this publicly hung him out then her out but yeah yeah yeah, but then again you know what does that make me laura yeah i don't that's not cool either i just i always think i think why are you not you just not DM'd that person. I don't need to see your row on Twitter. Go away. Because because then also you're encouraging uh, some sort of social media pile on. Yeah. And that then witch and then hunt, what isn't we're it? Doing, yeah. we're, that, we're just going back to school. Yeah. And we're not going to learn from that. It's, it's just going to, we're just going to feel very prickly and, and it's, we're just going to, you know, you're passing on the hurt. Yeah, I agree. It, uh, I, I to- totally agree. And I, when those things sort of come up, I, I have to quickly scroll by. It's not that I feel very uncomfortable with those sort of conversations on Twitter and public forums. It's just like, what's the point? You've got, like you said, if you're going to go on and do that, then you're wanting a fight. You want everyone to bully this person back and... You know, yeah. how do you like it now? It's like, oh, God, just, yeah, it's, it's really exhausting, isn't it? And I'm I'm just a person. I like, I've always been a peacekeeper. I've always, I, I, I ch- check everything a million times before I send it over because I'm always worried that, you know, I might come across like this a lot or whatever. And I do exactly the same with Twitter. When, even if it's just a funny old tweet that no one's going to, you know, like two people might like, I still think, oh, make sure this thing, you know, sort of censoring myself all the time because I never want to hurt. That's the big thing with me. I never want to hurt anyone's feelings. And I just don't know why other people don't have that in them. Well, you know, it's a real shame and it's sad that this is the world we live in. But, you know, we can just sort of, the best we can do is live by our morals, surely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. It's that thing, isn't it, going, you know, you can't like that, that's wrong. It's like, that's just what, yeah, that's what I was talking about with the Mrs. Brown's boys thing. Like, you know, you can't like that. You're, you're wrong. It's not funny. It says who? 
It's making her laugh. You know, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Anyway. Well, no, and I think you're completely right. And who are you to say mm. what exactly makes me laugh? Yeah. Or the things that, you know, my mum and dad find funny. Yeah. Are not the things that I find funny, but that's okay. Yeah. That's, that is okay. Of course. It's just taste. It's just, it's nothing, isn't it? It's just so silly. Well, it's nothing, but it's everything. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, 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 you know, and if we all had the same taste, then what a oh, Christ, boring. fucking boring world yeah. this would be. 100%, yeah. Laura, I have loved our conversation. So have yeah. I. I could literally so, go so another much. couple of hours. Get me going now. Well, <laughs> here's, the th- here's the thing. What I'm going to definitely guarantee is that we do this again in person with lots of tea and lots of cake. I would love that. I would absolutely love that. I'll have a coffee, though, if you don't mind, Craig. Then <laughs> I can sort that out. I don't drink coffee, but we can sort this out. Laura Checkley, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's honestly just such, been such a huge pleasure. What a lovely chat. Thank you, darling. Another episode is done. What did I tell you? It's like sitting down and having a gabber with a dear old friend. So, Laura, if you're listening, I can't thank you enough for coming on and giving some of that free time that you've got right now. But listen, it's not even just about people giving their free time. It's when people come on and obviously you know me and Laura had met before, but they come on and we have a conversation and they speak with such depth and warmth and honesty and, and eloquence. It really, really means the world. And that's what makes episodes like this kind of fizz. So I, I really hope you enjoyed it and you got something out of that. And if this is your first time, maybe... The link to this, to Laura's episode, you want to go back and listen to Big Tom Davis, because he's been on, or the fantastic Rebecca Callard, she's also been on. Or maybe you want to scour through the rest of the back catalogue, because maybe you're not up to date. Maybe there's an episode there and you're thinking, but oh, I don't know this person, I've, I've never heard of them, I, I don't know what they do, I don't know what... Maybe have a listen, dive in. Find out who they are. You might just be surprised. So look, I'm going to go now. I've got another day of homeschooling tomorrow. So look, thank you so much for downloading and subscribing. Telling your friends. Keep on doing that. Supporting us on Patreon at such a difficult time. There's loads of people that are doing it. And honestly, myself and Griff cannot thank you enough. It really is keeping us going. And get in touch. You know we're on all the socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're at two shop we're two shop pod at gmail.com. I can't believe after nearly it's our third year this year, I'm still forgetting the email. We love your emails, we love your messages, your photos. Get them all in, keep in touch. Let's keep this listening community thriving because that's what we do. We're all in this together. Right, uh, I don't mean we're all in this together, that, what's going on. I mean, this podcast, we're all in this together. I'm not making reference to, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Okay, look, until next week again, thank you so much for being there, downloading and subscribing. I've been Craig Parkinson, he's been producer Griff, and this has been the Two Shot Podcast. Until next week, you take care, stay safe, and stay sound. See ya. Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers. <laughs>